There are places I want to visit. There are things that I want to do and experience. There are books I want to read. But more than anything, I want to know Christ. Were I to have at my disposal the greatest and the best of this world and enjoy the praise of my peers and the adoration of strangers, but if I did not know Jesus, it would all be for nothing. If I could live a long and happy life, and my name remembered in history books for centuries and for millennia, if I did not know Christ Jesus, then my life would have no point. I want to know my Savior. I want you to know my Lord. So let me tell you about the Son of God. Jesus is Father's lavish love. Jesus is Father's lavish love. Now, as you know, ever since verse 3, Paul has been unpacking every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But as Paul unpacks these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, Paul never lets us forget that these blessings are found only in Christ and because of Christ. So Paul knows nothing about blessings that are ours apart from Christ or without Christ. So as Paul unpacks the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, he's equally unpacking the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that brought us last week to verse 7, where Paul told us, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so what Paul taught us last week is that Jesus has set us free from bondage to sin and death. And Jesus has once and for all dealt with our guilt and shame before God. And because of what he has done now, you and I, weak, harassed, and the struggling believers that you and I are, we discover to our great surprise time and time again, over and over again, we discover that God's grace, his grace for us never runs out. You know, it's amazing how often we are surprised by that. But we are surprised in the most happy, wonderful way that as weak as we are, as much as we struggle and as much as we stumble, harassed and oppressed and hard-pressed, we discover, don't we, that His grace for us never runs out. God's grace has riches 
that our poverty can never exhaust. Yes, we mourn that sin is still present in our heart and in our lives. But the depth of our sin struggles cannot match the depth of grace. And now, in this passage, Paul expands on the riches of his grace, which we saw in verse 7, with verse 8, the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The word that he uses, the riches of his grace, which he lavished, uh, that's a word that means made to abound. So if I can put it slightly differently, the riches of his grace, which Jesus made to abound upon us in all wisdom and insight. And perhaps a good way to think about what Paul is getting at is to remember that Jesus was once invited to a wedding. Do you remember? And the joyful wedding celebration nearly turned into a disaster when the wine ran out. Then Jesus did something. He did something which was both humorous and also telling. It was humorous because Jesus' very first public show of his power was turning water into wine. You know, I've met some Christians who are secretly embarrassed about that. They rather wish that Jesus had turned wine into water. Uh, because, you know, alcohol is sinful, isn't it? If you drink it, you become a sinner. Oh. You know, when you make food and drink a matter of righteousness, you know, it's a dead end. Besides, you know, anyone can turn wine into water. Jesus his very first show of his power was to turn water into wine. And so there's something really humorous about that. But more importantly, there's something really telling about that. And it is telling in what it says about Jesus. You see, Jesus made to abound where there was nothing. And so this first sign that Jesus performs sets the mood for Jesus' entire ministry. Do you remember what happened at the wedding? Panic set in when they realized that they had exhausted every last drop and they had run out. But Jesus, Jesus has more. And I wonder how often that is true of us. We panic because we realize or we think we have exhausted every last drop and we're completely out. But Jesus, he has more. Because you see, Jesus is the Father's lavish gift to us that we may have in Jesus the riches of his grace. Did you ever think, or do you ever think, that God has no more grace for you? Do you ever think that you have exhausted His every patience, 
his every kindness, that you've squandered everything, that you've lost everything, how can God still be gracious to me? Jesus has more. You see, Jesus makes it to abound where there is nothing. And so Paul tells us here that this grace God has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, if you think about Paul's encounter with God's grace, it was very traumatic. You see, Paul had to first understand that he was in bondage to sin before he could find freedom in Jesus. And encountering God's grace shattered Paul's self-image and pride as a righteous person. You see, he had to be emptied before God could fill him. He had to see the, the poverty of his soul before he could receive the riches of God's grace. And so the steps that God ordained for Paul to know Jesus were very painful steps. But now Paul is able to look back and see it all as God lavishing his grace in all wisdom and insight. You know, that's what being in Christ and growing in grace enables us to do. It enables us to see things with new eyes. And Paul, he looks back at the painful experience of discovering his spiritual bankruptcy. And yet with new eyes, he sees God's wisdom and his insight. And in a similar way, God may ordain difficult steps for us in order to break sin's hold over us. Sometimes God allows us to fail. Sometimes God grants us events where we are left broken and emptied, where we see the absolute poverty of our spirit, where what we once thought we were is absolutely shattered and proven to be a lie. But His grace is rich. And because His grace is rich, we will one day see our struggles with new eyes. And one day we will see that God did everything in all wisdom and insight. Jesus is Father's lavish love. Secondly, Jesus is Father's unveiled promise or purpose. Jesus is Father's unveiled purpose. So in verse 9, Paul says, Uh, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. 
You know, there's no small cottage industry trying to make this word mystery say something among those who call themselves biblical scholars. Here's a good rule of thumb. If ever a passage in the Bible leaves you uncertain of its meanings, keep on reading. Because more often than not, Scripture explains itself. And it becomes very clear what Paul means by mystery is that for Paul, mystery means God's hidden purpose, which is now revealed, or as Paul puts it, which is now set forth in Christ. What was once hidden is now being uh, revealed. What was once out of our sight is brought forth so that we can see and understand it in Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, this is what Paul says. The mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's what Paul means by mystery. The purpose of God which was hidden for ages, but now revealed, set forth in Christ, that the Gentiles, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, become the fellow heirs with the Jews of God's covenant promises. And this was life-changing for Paul. It turned this world upside down because Paul once thought that the wall of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles was immovable. It was impenetrable that he had to maintain it. And Paul once thought that he was doing a service to God by reserving God's kingdom for his own kind And when he celebrated the judgment that fell on the nations as their just due. Isn't it interesting? The recent events in Palestine and Gaza, the wall still stands. The wall still stands because they don't know Jesus. Because for Paul, Jesus changed everything for him. You see, God, God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God promised Abraham, not just your family, not just your descendants, but in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just the 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 Hebrews, not just the Jews, not just the people of Israel that will come from your body, but all the peoples, all the families of earth will be blessed in you and through you. That was God's promise to Abraham. And we know how God fulfilled that promise. God fulfilled that promise through Jesus. So in Revelation chapter 5, we hear this. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
You see, that was the hidden purpose of God, which for generations people did not understand. But with Jesus, his death and resurrection has now become apparent, clear, and revealed. And so how wrong to think that there is only enough grace for the Jews and not for the Gentiles. And how wrong to not want the whole world to honor the Messiah. But you see, God's purpose, which was hidden for ages but now revealed, is for people from every tribe and language and people and nation to know Jesus and live. Now, can you see how comforting this must have been for the Ephesians? Paul wrote this letter during his two-year imprisonment in Rome, and the believers in Ephesus knew exactly why and how Paul ended up there. You see, Paul ended up a prisoner awaiting an appeal to Caesar because the Jewish people had such hostility against Paul's message that the Gentiles, along with the Jews, are saved by grace. And even at this very time, as the uh, Ephesian believers were reading Paul's letter, there were still Jews saying to them that they are not qualified to be in God's kingdom. But Paul is saying to them, that their qualification comes not from their heritage, not from their DNA, not from their works, but that Jesus' death and resurrection have qualified them to be in God's kingdom. And he's telling these Gentile believers, what you have come to believe is not some new invention of man. I didn't make it up. This was God's purpose all along. From ages before, it was hidden, but now with Jesus, it is revealed. So first, Jesus is Father's lavish love, and Jesus is Father's unveiled purpose. And thirdly and finally, Jesus is the Father's cosmic goal. Jesus is the Father's cosmic goal. And so Paul sees the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's kingdom in verse 10. He sees it as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And what Paul is saying is this, that the grace of Jesus' death and resurrection has set in motion a new stage of God's redemptive work and has brought upon us the fullness of time, the end of the ages. And what Paul is saying is that in Jesus, the Gentiles, and once again, let's be clear by what the Jews meant by the Gentiles and what what Paul is talking about when he's talking about the Gentiles. Gentiles are those who are thought to have not worked for God's grace, those people who are thought to not have deserved God's grace, those people who have no claim upon God, but those who have believed 
and by believing they have received grace and righteousness. That's who we are talking about. In Jesus, the Gentiles, they are received into God's kingdom, and with it, the fullness of time has come. You know, there is some tendency among some Christians to think about the last days as something that begins with, with, with an apocalyptic crisis of the revealing of the Antichrist, for example, or a crisis in the Middle East, what have you. Uh, Paul tells us, actually, the last days are upon us with the Gentiles being brought into God's kingdom. The fullness of time has come upon us when the Gentiles, having no claim to God's kingdom, having done nothing to earn God's favor, but have believed, have trusted in the Lord Jesus, and for that they were brought in. And with that, God's cosmic goal comes into view. And God's cosmic goal is this, to unite all things in him, to unite all things in Jesus, in heaven and things and on earth. Well, can I put it this way? Jesus' death and resurrection are not merely points of interest for Christians at the beginning of their spiritual life. But Jesus' death and resurrection are something that grow larger as we grow in faith. Because God's purpose, which was once hidden but now revealed, God's purpose is that Jesus have preeminence over all peoples and over all things. So history has a purpose. And the purpose of history is to exalt Christ over all people and over all things. The cosmos, this universe has a goal. The goal of this cosmos, the goal of this universe is to be put in submission to Jesus. That's the Father's purpose, to make His Son the Lord of all things in heaven and on earth. That is why, that is why knowing Jesus is the utmost goal of human existence. History and cosmos exist to honor Jesus. That's God's purpose. That's God's design. And what that means is when we do not know Jesus, we are out of step with the flow of history. And when we do not know Jesus, we are out of step with the meaning of the universe. And if so, when we have got everything so wrong because we don't know Jesus, how can there be any peace? How can there be any fulfillment? How can there be any meaning to life without 
Jesus. There can't be. When we do not know Jesus, we are out of step with God's purpose for history. When we do not know Jesus, we are out of step with the goal of the universe. There can be no meaning. There can be no fulfillment. There can be no peace. That is why Paul says in Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Do you know Jesus? Let me tell you about him. Jesus is everything to God. Make Jesus your everything. And if Jesus is your everything, you will find that with him and in him, the Father will give you every spiritual blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your instructions this morning. And because of you, because of what you have taught us and because of what you have done, our greatest longing and aspiration is to know you, Jesus. We want to know you. We want you to be our everything. And we desire and we long for the history to reach its climax soon and exalt you and honor you. And we long and we desire that everything in heaven and on earth bow down before you and own you as their Lord and as their King. Would you do this, Lord, quickly and soon? For we know that until history and until universe are finally what they ought to be, this world will exist in turmoil and chaos and darkness. But we hope for better things. We hope for your glory, and we hope for your honor. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.